Many people have problems with art and not with reality. So what is art different? It's pretty simple, right? This is knowledge, this is thinking, this is thought. Yeah, it does something strange with your head. Welcome to the Undergang Armchair. Bring it. Welcome to episode 64 of the Undergang Armchair. My name is Ando. So it's funny how during moments of stress and over-the-top working, something happens which just cuts through the clouds of anxiety and just kind of brings you back to your senses. And uh, this just happened to me. This talk with Ryan Gander is, is exactly that. I had promised you guys an extra episode this week, which is a very good metaphor for my life right now. The chickens are indeed coming home to roost. And as I was listening to our conversation, Ryan and I, I just kind of felt my worries melt away. It's okay to be unsure about what you're doing. It's okay to have conflicted feelings about art. It's, uh, it's okay to have more than you can deal with coming at you at once. You'll get through it. Life will go on. Anyways, Ryan works harder than any of us, and he's having the time of his life. So let that be our lesson here. How's that for an introduction? Ladies and gentlemen, the rock-solid Ryan Gander. I dare you to disprove anything he says. Enjoy. It's a lot of work, keeping it all going. Well, it's a job. It is a job. And, uh, and that's an interesting thing to start with because, uh, because I do, I was wondering, like, for me, I think a lot about what's the difference between finding a job that you love yeah. and being an artist, you know, because well, there's my so dad always says that, um, if you find a job that you love, you never have to work a day in your life. Right. Which is a cliche, but as we know, cliches exist because lots of people agree on them. But, it's what turns them into a cliche. So yeah. he's got a point. Do you agree? Yeah. There's a, at the moment, there's um, a girl from Austria who's staying with our family in my house to help with the kids and stuff. And she said, well, the other day, said, oh, you work a lot. And I was like, well, I enjoy working. So <laughs> it's not that bad. So it doesn't feel like it? I think if you, if you clock in and clock out of any job, then your life becomes a sort of treadmill, doesn't it? Because you're always being accountable for what is free time and what is time that you exchange for money which is not a very good way to live if you enjoy your job you're just like you're always living sometimes you're doing your work and sometimes you're doing other stuff than you work well I think it's also really hard for people who can't make a living off of their art yet so they have to balance that money versus free time you know art becomes free and even though it's what they love to do it has to exist along with making a living yeah well, that's the big conundrum, isn't it, of being an artist? It's not really money. Money's not really in the equation. I always think it's time and space that's in the equation. Right. Because if you have time, uh, then you need a space to spend the time in, a studio. And if you have a studio, you have to pay for it. And then you need a job to pay for it, and then you don't have time to go to the studio <laughs> you're paying for. So it's a massive, complicated... Uh, yeah, it's a Mess. horrible triangle. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, I think that's a, that's 
Well, I mean, it's a good way to start, too. In the beginning, how did you manage? Because you do require a lot of space for your work, as far as I understand. I think I could... It sounds like... It sounds a bit ridiculous, but I think I could manage in any situation to make art. Because hmm. I always have, I've never... I've not always had a lot of space or people to help me or anything, so... But I've always made art because I like making art. And I think if even if people didn't want to see it, I'd still make art because it's just naturally what I have to do to not be insane. It kind of keeps me grounded. Hmm. Just think I have a busy mind. And the busyness has to go out somewhere, you know, I have to have projects and things happening to to, to yeah, control that busyness. Are you able to turn it off? Not really. So I go on holiday sometimes, but... <laughs> you think my, about art? Well, I work, this is what's terrible. So <laughs> the last two holidays, my wife said to me, so she chose places and she said, so we're going here and we're going to go for a week. And what I thought is you could work in the morning till 12 and then we could spend time with the kids and do holiday stuff in the afternoon. And she, that was her idea and her suggestion because she knows that yeah, often when I go on holiday, I'm just miserable and really bad father, mm-hmm. bad person to be around. It's hard so to turn it off. Get, well, it's just to keep having ideas, and even if I'm trying to write them down, the fact that I'm not actually dealing with the things that I'm thinking about, they just sort of mount up and they become this... Yeah, I just get very anxious that things are going to pass me by. Sounds very familiar. I actually have the same problem. And my yeah. wife does talk to me about you work too much. And it's, it's again, you know, if you're working on art, it's not work. Yeah. So it doesn't feel like that. I don't ever feel like, oh, I should stop and, you know, take care of something else. It's more like, this is a moment I can do this. I want yeah, to yeah. do this. Yeah. I'm engaged. Uh, but it becomes hard to turn off. And when you're forced to turn it off, you do become uh, irritable. Mm. Yeah. Which is tough, and it's tough to manage with family, and you live with other people. I mean, it was great when you were 19 and in school, and you could just <laughs> go and do yeah, it, you know? Yeah. yeah. It's uh. strange, isn't it? Because it's just part of being, it's just part of life, I think, having ideas and dealing with them. So, yeah. If, I mean, if you're not someone who is obsessed about, you know, having ideas or whatever it is, or you just sort of. You don't storm through life, you go slower, then it's hard to understand how anxious it can make you not being able to do it. It is, there is a weird gulf between that. Wow. You know, and like I also wonder for myself, I think a lot about success and what that means. And like you said earlier, making art on your own, you do it anyways, regardless of money, you know, and so then the weird dichotomy in my mind is what's the difference between success you know as an artist and success as a uh, living person in a world yeah do you know i always something that occurred to me recently which is i think the distinction between the two success and not success is a sort of feeling of insanity or not insanity because i always remember before i ever made any money or ever sold any work I'd feel a bit strange because, you know, the things that artists do are very peculiar, they're very odd kind of 
they can be hard to justify tasks. in certain yeah. contexts. You know, like someone sitting on a bus uh, over embroidering on the pattern of the seat, and you know, you look like you probably should be in an asylum. It's a, not a logical, uh, yeah, logical thing to do. It's just, it's just very strange. And I think the difference is when you sell work. I stopped feeling unhinged and weird because it justifies it in terms of it's not illogical anymore. It's logical because the things that you do, your creative acts, equate to this the logical systems that we all agree on in society, which is the exchange of money for labor or for products. So. Right, all of a sudden you're a cog with a hole. Yeah, exactly. So it's not so, so you don't feel as weird or unhinged. Or, I mean, I used to do things when I was an art student and or oh, a young artist before I'd ever had a proper show or anything and I'd think am I mad is am I actually going to send you know is is this the start of some strange behavior that will mean that I'll end up in an asylum because the things that I were doing was so strange you know well I can only assume you didn't come from an artistic family then no no not at all there's no art in our house what was the jump that uh went from being like I'm just a weird kid to oh I can go to art school I can there's a world I wasn't a weird kid at all but I I mean this feeling you had about that was after I I knew I was making art Hmm. but in the yeah in the rules of society because it it had no value what I was doing Hmm. I felt mad because of it but I never yeah I never thought I'd be an artist I didn't that wasn't in on the cards at all I just sort of fell into it. I was, as a kid, I was really organised. I'd, um, I guess, I'd organise things a lot. So I was a bit like an entrepreneur, a young entrepreneur, where I'd set up shops and discos in the garage of my parents' house and charge for people to come in and, I don't know, organised sponsored events or sales or I had a craft shop. Uh, <laughs> I don't know. Weird, yeah. So stay moving. It was like. always kind of like uh, having the ability to motivate people and mm. to organise and to instigate projects. But I, but I mean, and, and that is a, a creative thing to do, obviously. But I was never really crafty or creative, or I never painted. I didn't know anything about art. Mm. I mean, when I started studying art at school for. A levels, which is about sixteen years old or something. I didn't know what a Picasso looked like, or you know, Caldo or anyone. I had no idea. Did it interest you immediately? Not really. No, I think I was interested by the. And I, and I've made a work about this subject, as well. But you know the way. Young artists aren't really interested in art, they're interested in associating themselves with art because they like the persona of the artist and they think that it would be a nice lifestyle choice and it's mm. an interesting trajectory to live and uh, there's a romanticism attached to it and, you know, some kind of the idea of the, the free bohemian and that's quite kind of uh, desirable. Mm. So I think I was interested in the persona of an artist but I wasn't necessarily interested in art. Um I was interested in just everything. I was interested in systems in society. And I was interested in, yeah, organising things. And I was interested in the notion of a project. So there was this 
an idea that you could do something, it would it would reach fruition. And you needed certain people's skills along that journey to get to that point. And working with people. But yeah, and that's all in my practice now. I think. Right, you've got a pretty big team. Well, also just collaboration with you know not just people who work in the studio, but yeah, I mean yeah, the clothes that I do, and you can see it in everything, the books that I do, the mm. TV scripts and that it's all it's all working with people who have a alternative perspective on the subject and you know I think if I just made work on my own if I had a sort of singular practice it'd just be terrible art <laughs> the thing about good art is nothing really exists in isolation does it no, um, I've uh, talked like, a lot on this show about that whole thing about the the artist, the the myth of the artist who lives in an attic, and every yeah, once a year an art ridiculous. dealer comes up and buys yeah. everything, and yeah. then they you know slowly go crazy. Yeah. I don't really know anybody who does that. But it's also that notion's totally obsessed with the idea of the genius. Right, right. It's more the myth it's of the not, artist than yeah. it is the actual yeah. practical. And there is no geniuses; don't exist, do they? Just a load of trip ups that turn one thing that you think it's going to be into something totally different. Oh, that's it. And that's the exciting bit for me, mm. not knowing what it's going to look like or be. So mistakes play a role? Oh, yeah, m- mistakes, uh, yeah. yeah. I don't trust any artist who doesn't throw off the stuff away that they make. It's hmm. a good lesson to learn. I could probably learn from that. <laughs> uh, well, half the idea is that any human has a shit, aren't they? So you can't... That That's the... That's why the notion of the genius and this, the image of the the artist in the garret are just so ridiculous. They're almost like, you know, when we think about those things, they always appear in my mind in, like, bright colours with a black outline like a cartoon because they're so, they're so ridiculous. <laughs> Not vignette, that, right. Yeah, they could only be rendered in cartoon. <laughs> yeah, I mean... I've, it's occurred to me as a photographer that that it seems that editing is probably more than half of the battle, mm-hmm. and that has to do with ideas with anything really. The, the process of systemizing ideas, thoughts, whatever. And I, I saw the way you work with all the photographs, bunching them together, and everything. And you've mm-hmm. developed a very controlled system for dealing with this. But like that's. You've made what is a huge problem for a lot of people very effective. Dealing with thoughts, systemizing, rating them, continuing to work with them, putting them aside for a while, bringing mm-hmm. them back in, that whole thing. And that strikes me as being more important than uh, a lot of the other processes. Yeah, well, yeah. It is. It, I mean, Picasso said that, that like some artists have... You know, they make a cake mould and then they spend the rest of their lives making cakes from that mould. <laughs> right. Which I think is great. And that he he doesn't he never did that. He just made lots of cake moulds and made one cake from each mould. And that you couldn't see any style in his work and that style is always retrospect after the artist's death because then you see the trajectory of practice. Hmm. Not, you know, the style of a work or the style of an era. And that's like I really, really strongly believe in all them things. And I think if you have loads and loads of ideas, you, there has to be some sort of system for controlling 
Yeah, the, that amount, amount of information, a colossal amount of information, it's the same with anything, you know, you can't just remember everything. That's why computers were invented and abacuses and because things need recording because, and then re-systemizing and sorting. And it's overwhelming. It is overwhelming. It's the only way to keep control of it. And, you know, I go, so say I have an exhibition and I'm formulating a plan for a show or a project, then I'll turn to all those index files of thousands and thousands of categorised photographs and look for maybe associations or themes or... But while I'm doing that, I'm, you know, still having other ideas and printing more photos. Right. <laughs> so just it just keep it going. keeps growing as well. You know, there's always... I always, like, feel like I'm adding ten times more photos than the ones that I'm taking out and crossing off the list. Yeah. Where does, where does storytelling play a role? Um, I've heard that said about your work a fair amount. Yeah. I don't know if you agree with that at all. <laughs> no, I do, yeah. I mean... If if that many people agree, because there's a lot of people that talk about storytelling in relation to my work, if that amount of people agree that that is one of the themes or perspectives, then it must be. Hmm. Can't <laughs> I can't argue with that, can I? Um, but do you actively think about it? No. It's more like a narrative. To be honest, the out. only thing that I really actively think about is change. So I don't. I mean. Works are kind of instinctive because I've made so many million decisions and I know where one decision leads you to, another decision, and where those two branches lead to because I've rehearsed all that because I've made, yeah, what, 5,000 artworks in 10 years. And so I've thought a lot of those routes through. So that almost becomes automated somehow, or not automated, instinctive, you know. I don't consciously say I'm going to make this decision because of this and it, you just sort of know it don't you you pick it up through learning about visual language and stuff but the thing that is conscious is the space in between works when I decide what I'm going to do next and that is actively and purposefully based on the notion of change I think it's only something I've thought about recently but I force myself to change it's like the uh, cake mold thing, isn't it? Because it, it's so difficult not to produce a cake mold. Because, if it worked, if it was a delicious exactly, cake before, yeah. then. Uh, but also, it's just easier to go through the process of doing something that you know. Doing something that you don't know is an impossible task because you don't know what it is. And I look back at works that I've made and I think, Christ, I can't believe that we made that. Because it's so simple. And then I remember how difficult it was to make. And I remember how we'd sit in the studio at a production meeting and think about scrapping it because there's no way it could be realised. Do you see what I mean? Yeah. And then you think of how much work went into that one singular artwork or exhibition. And it just that always astonishes me when I look back. And so it's always easier just to do the same thing or to... to rehearse this thing that you know mm. but if you're like me you'd probably lose your shit at some point do you think so well i mean you mentioned earlier that uh you know you're constantly thinking your ideas are constantly coming and and it would eventually become unchallenging right i mean if you're if you systemize it to the point where where the work yeah. makes itself 
Yeah. Then the impetus to make it would probably be weakened. Yeah. Um, you know what I mean? Yeah, I know what you mean. No, you're right, but I don't know. Do you do you engage with other artists a lot? I mean, do you do you? No. You don't talk about art with other artists. You don't go to other art shows. You know. No. <laughs> no time. Well, I've got a bit of time. We could go, I guess, if I pulled my finger out. But I think the thing about art is that it's that thing again that nothing exists in isolation. So the things that you see have a profound subconscious effect on the things that you do. And I think, yeah, by I can it's dangerous for me to see too much art. Oh, that it'll interfere with uh, what you have going on? Possibly, but also just that I find it incredibly depressing. <laughs> and I don't, that sounds terribly arrogant. <laughs> it doesn't. It or it's, I don't know, I just, I think, you know, I have to operate in this, in this, in the art world, which is a system, and there's no, I mean, I can do other things like design clothes or write cookbooks or, you know, but essentially, I'm an artist and that's my main occupation. So I have to exist in that system and there's a lot of things about that system that if I understand too much about what's happening in it, are morally and ethically not in line with what I believe and that makes me not want to operate within that system because it can seem so flawed at times that you end up with a massive mistrust for it and... You know, I, I'm not an artist who moans about the art world. Oh, you know, there's so many artists who say, oh, they have problems with selling work or galleries or money or the elitism or institute. I don't know. I just think that the way that it works is totally fine. You know, writers write and they say what they think is good and bad and you take it on the chin and collectors buy things that they think are good investments or are interesting anomalies within the history of art, and that's fine as well. There's nothing you can do about that. There's always someone who's going to get a better show than you at the museum, you know, <laughs> or get invited, or I don't know. Like, it's all fair, but then... It's a rabbit hole. Some, And I don't mind that, and I don't mind selling art. I think, like, I'd much, much, much rather make my money from selling art commercially to private collectors than ask for an Arts Council grant to do a project that nobody's interested in, which is often what happens with public money. That's a particularly European thing, I've noticed. It is, absolutely. And you especially... I like, lived in the Netherlands for five years, and during the period that I was there, it was just... That was so acute, that predicament, that it became embarrassing, I think. You'd end up with, like, didgeridoo players outside Central Station on start stipendiums <laughs> because they thought themselves to be artists... I don't know, I just find it. Anyway, I'm going off the point. But, so in general, an artist hate would, you know, I know lots of artists hate it, me saying this, but the art world is a fantastic sieve. And it's, it's become that fantastic sieve through time and through trial and error. It's not like someone just invented it one day and then it existed. Right. It's tried and tested, and that's why there is a system of galleries that's been going for hundreds of years, and the idea of the dealer and the critic and this whole infrastructure has been built you know, on experience, on, on example. It's not just someone made it up. Right. But then there's things about the art world, the, I don't know, just the whole post-internet thing that happened recently and is thankfully gone now. 
but just it's just so frivolous and crap that I just think, and you see people jumping on some kind of fashion bandwagon about it. It's just so empty and crass that type of work that, yeah, morally and ethically, I'd need to to feel like I can still operate within the art world. I need to hide my eyes from such, the shit yeah, yeah, yeah. Basically, I need to stay away from those things because that can affect you. You know, if you if you're if you dedicated your entire life mm. to yeah. Uh, pioneering visual language and contributing to the history of art mm. then some kid who's made some crap photoshop filter picture of them on a skateboard in neon colours is just not going to make you very happy well I think I guess the only hope is that because it's a sieve it means there's more material than there's space for and that can contribute to a diversity of the whole. Even a lot of it is absolutely heinous, and yeah. you know, not just work quality, but also uh, money systems, uh, trends, you yeah. know, all that stuff. Which is which every artist will agree is terrible, and the, you know, some make it a point to openly discuss. Often, yeah. um, I choose like you to try not to engage because I want to work as an artist. Mm. And there's no point, you know. I imagine it's the same ethical dilemma you have if you get offered a job at, a, at an unethical pharmaceutical company. Mm. You know, you mm. can make a good living doing something you want to do, mm-hmm. uh, but you also have to wrestle with some uh, some some of the darker sides of it. Yeah. Um, yeah. And you know, and that kind of leads into the question I was interested in: is, is does courage? What role does courage play in what you do? Because I got a little. I watched this BBC. <clears throat> A piece they did on you, right? The half-hour piece, yeah. And uh, it was awesome. It was amazing. I think they did a good job of kind of breaking it down and showing different elements of what you do, how you do, where you come from, etc. But I also got stressed by it. It felt heavy in a weird way. Like this is such a big machine. Now you've got teams of people working. You have uh, projects. I imagine you've got all sorts of stuff being manufactured, all sorts of different places. Yeah. Uh, but that's it's also well, there's two things. It's it's all yeah, that's true. But it's also perspective, isn't it? Because maybe your practice isn't suited to that those mechanisms, and that's why it feels heavy to you. But for me, like the only ambition that I've ever had is to be able to make whatever I want whenever I want, and being financially secure or even affluent just allows you to set up it i mean this for me is like being in heaven having mm-hmm. a studio where there's people where i can go in and say i want to design a racing car and we start doing it or i want to buy a building and start an art school and start doing it or i want to make a tree out of offcuts of wood from the royal college of art or whatever it is that for me is total freedom and liberty it's mm. just the most wonderful wonderful thing and it relates back to the entrepreneurship you were talking about earlier it's, and i understand it happened in pieces you yeah. know you didn't wake up one day no. and, and do this um but i mean it's something that i've chosen not chose i mean longed for not mm. just i didn't fall into it because cause and effect or supply and demand i built this situation that i'm in because for me, going to the studio is and being able to make whatever I want to make is my perfect idea of happiness. 
It's a childhood dream for her. So it's not heavy, it's kind of just super exciting to think about the possibilities of what I could do. It's mm. lovely. So why art? Why uh, why not have stayed on the entrepreneurial path and started a company? It is entrepreneurial, but what, <laughs> in a weird way. It, of course, but but do you see a specific advantage to being an artist as opposed to? I mean, art, making you, art is not is not something which you can uh, rely on. You know, you're told as soon as you get into the system, you're probably not going to make it. You know, it's yeah. not it's not a get rich. Quick I was told scheme. that at secondary school. Yeah. The first thing when I started studying art. Right. You told that as well. Yeah. Oh, yeah. From so the we, beginning, I've been told hundreds of times. Make, yeah. yeah. It's funny, isn't it? And you just have to tell yourself, "No, I'll be that one." Yeah. You know, that's all you can do. I didn't or actually I tell harder. myself that. It's weird, but I think the question about the entrepreneur is because if you're an entrepreneur, you make money, which in itself isn't interesting. Making money, it's what you do with money that's interesting. It's like the same as where we started the conversation. The problem with emerging artists and young artists is that there's this yeah this difficult triangle of money time and space um and at the other end of the spectrum there's it's the same problem it's like i had dinner with someone last week who he's really wealthy a really old wealthy guy and he said to me he said to a a guy who i was with actually who's a writer uh that he was really jealous of him, really envied him. And this guy is like 25 and he's a, he's, in my opinion, he's a genius. He's an incredible writer. And the old guy, who's plenty rich, said to the young guy that he was jealous of him because the only thing he's ever known how to do is make money. And yeah, like, making money's pretty boring. You know, you, you don't, you've nothing to do with it. You've got a pool or, I don't know what he has, loads of cars or big house or... Then what do you do with the money? You invest it to make more you make money. More money. It's just like a, this obsession with right, that's growth. That's the goal in and of itself. Not, but that doesn't change history or add to human culture or do all the things that we do. Things that we do. Yeah, money is just a great enabler, isn't it? Mm. But the things that you in, you are able to do with the money are the things that are interesting, and I guess that's why the entrepreneur is different to the artist. Mm. And what's the point of art? Good question. Trick question. Terrible question. <laughs> I know. What's the point of art? Um, I don't know. What is the point of art? I always think it's really weird that, you know, like maybe global warming or meteor hits or... You know, this. I've been watching this zombie series, The Walking Dead. Have you seen any of that? I haven't seen it, but I've heard a lot about it. It's just funny, Philly runs my studios, he was watching it too, and we like watched all the episodes and everything, we were talking about it at lunch one day, and he said, the weird thing is, if you notice there's no art in The Walking Dead, and of, of course, if, it's, you know, if there was an apocalyptic situation, what's the first thing that goes? Thing that isn't necessary, or oh, the least necessary, so art goes. Hmm. Music stays interestingly, because there's a few moments in the programme where characters sing. And it's like, a, you know, around a campfire or whatever, like right. some kind of, um, yeah. Well, it seems like art can human, be forgotten. Yeah. Like humans could perhaps forget about art yeah. if some crazy twist happened, like The Walking Dead or something. You know. Yeah. Um, but so maybe it doesn't have any use. Yeah. 
I gotta let you go. It's been a half hour. Is it? Yep. Unfortunately. Because that was good. You knew by the second. I got it here. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but thank you. Is thank there you. anything, any others that you want to? Oh man, I could go on. It's an interesting conversation. Though. You know, I'm I'm really interested in a lot. Like I said before, I think a lot of artists don't like talking about money or success, or because they all seem to be kind of dirty, sordid, capitalist subjects. But they're not. I mean, like it's life. You pay your rent, and you know, it's some of the you have to buy your food. Yeah, and it's. I just think it's incredibly naive for artists to be so hippie that they. Yeah, don't they can't like engage with economics? You know, economics is mm. in everything. There's economics in form. I'm not just talking about monetary economics. There's economics in movement. There's economics in everything, and it's an interesting subject. And it's yeah, a real subject. So, well, I think that um, one of the weak points of that argument is that it comes pretty reliably from a certain corner. Yeah. It's not as diversely, uh, that song of resistance is not as diversely sung. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, like yeah. you can almost imagine the person just like you could imagine the, the cartoon uh, earlier. You know, like it, 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 there's a lot of adult meowing, yeah. to use my yeah. friend's words, yeah. in that corner. And it, 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 it unfortunately cheapens the argument. Mm. Mm-hmm. In a lot of ways. Yeah. And, 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 uh, I could, you know, I desperately, I, I, I'm an artist who does not support himself with his art. I desperately am working towards doing that. Yeah. And all I have is my motivation to do so. Yeah. Uh, but I accept that these are the rules. Yeah. I'm not, it doesn't compromise anything for me, strangely enough. No, no it uh, shouldn't. And, and that kind of, in a weird way, makes it, Okay, I guess. I think compromise is a nice, is a good thing. It can get you off your horse. Yeah. I think the great thing about compromise is that, I mean, what can you do? The thing about art is you can do anything. And what do you do when you can do anything? It's almost like the biggest problem is knowing what to do. The nice thing about restriction and compromise is it gives you some sort of framework in which to be creative. Hmm. Being creative with nothing, with no problem isn't as yeah isn't as much of a challenge as being creative with a problem maybe that's a good lesson to learn for the people for the adult meowing is that <laughs> you have to uh you have to integrate the problem yeah instead of uh instead of just uh throwing stones yeah all them cats <laughs> thanks a lot yeah thank you so much ryan i appreciate Cheers. it Huh? What do you guys think? Can you disprove any of it? I don't think so, but tell me if you can. Thank you for listening to this episode of The Undergang Armchair. The intro and outro music is kindly provided by Johnny Ripper, and today's interstitial music was provided by Spencer Henslow. You can find links to their music and all other sorts of great conversations on our respectable website, undergang.net. This show is produced in part with the kind support of the Danish Arts Council. Thanks for joining us. 